Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello and welcome to Virtchast, the flagship podcast of Confabulator. Remember Confabulator? Confabulator is 2004. Scat time zone. And then Apple Sherlocked it with a dashboard. The developer sold it to Yahoo. And it became the Yahoo Widget Library, which I think we all agree saved Yahoo. Stunning. It never. That's why Yahoo's still with us today. <laughs> that's, why they, that's why they're still here. Yeah. As part of Verizon. Who's the widgets? It would be amazing if there was like a director of widgets at Verizon. I hope there is. I know there is. Come on, decoder, director of Verizon widgets. That person's job is to just make weird, like mid-range Android phone home screen widgets yeah. that charge you by accident. Anyway, I'm your friend Eli. Hi, hi, David. Hi. I guess I'm I Google in this conversation. I'm like the new <laughs> cool upstart, just showing up, yeah. screwing everything up for everybody. There was a time when Google was like, people will come to Google.com directly, and we'll show them a page called I Google full of widgets. And that time great. passed yeah, very, very. Like, <laughs> that time was eight minutes long. Been gone. By the way, the, and I, I keep bringing up widgets because we're going to talk about widgets a lot today. Apple's back to widgets, but we've lived the whole cycle. Like Apple killed Confabulator. They killed. introduced Dashboard. They killed Dashboard. And now they're bringing it back. Alex Kranz is here. Hi, Alex. I, I'm missing Growl still. Growl, the notification system. That was good. Like, if we're in 2008, I want Growl back. You know how, like, uh, like 90s fashion trends are back? Yeah. Same with widgets. Is really, it's going to be the theme of this episode. So we are back. I'm back in New York City. I need, like, a dopamine fast like the, the tech bros do. Yeah. I am overstimulated. <laughs> it has been... It has been a, a rocking five days for me, starting with a Taylor Swift concert. Oh, my God. My niece and nephew graduating from high school. That was very Congratulations. emotional. Very emotional. And back-to-back days. Yeah. Which one did you cry more for, the graduation or the Taylor Swift performance? Uh, so I will say <laughs> I will say that we watched my sister, because, you know, she's the heiress tour. Yeah. So she was, like, reliving the memories of her children growing up, era by era. Of oh, through- Lord. It was oh a lot. Oh my god! No dry eyes. <laughs> it was a lot. Incapable. Oh my uh, god! It was a lot. The children at high school graduation were like, "We're out of here!" Like <laughs> it was impossible to be emotional. <laughs> They're like, "F this place." It was great. And then straight from there to WWDC. To WWDC. Uh, and then after WWDC, we did we did uh, the Virgast with the Waveform crew, which was incredible. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We were so, real punchy by that point, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but Alex, Alex, you'll appreciate this. Neil, I landed in San Francisco, comes to Cupertino. Our hotel is 
essentially across the street from Apple Park. But because of the way Apple Park works and because its security is intense, like, Neil, I would mm-hmm. suspect out of all of the things that you went to, Apple Park had more security than TSA, Taylor Swift, any of it. Wait, but- can I just say this? After all, all the Ticketmaster stuff, all that stuff, I made a decoder about Ticketmaster. <laughs> They did not check our tickets at Soldier Field. Oh, my God. We just walked in very confidently, went through a bunch of metal detectors. They looked in my bag, and we went and sat down. And I went and asked someone, hey, do you want to check my ticket? And they're like, no one ever narks on themselves. We believe you. You're good. And we sat down. It's amazing. But anyway, so Neelai gets there, and we have to go to Apple Park the next morning. And Neelai just looks at me very seriously and goes, David, I can't walk. I have walked too much. I had to walk <laughs> to and through Soldier Field. I yeah. can't do it. So we took several lifts, literally just from one Around side the of the Apple Park to the other side of Apple Park. David did make me walk twice. It's true. I did. Twice? That's too many times. He just it saw was Taylor. Fine. One of our favorite things to do was ask random Apple employees if they were filling their rings on WWDC days. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody it was, was very good. There's no Twitter anymore. I didn't have any place to put this this picture. But on the way to Soldier Field, it's like there's neighborhoody mm-hmm. and all these kids had lemonade stands and one of the kids was accepting bitcoin and i was like hey i think what's i saw up? this photo I, I, I put it in slack but yeah. there's, i didn't have any place to put it there's no twitter that kid's on it and i was like what's up with bitcoin and you know they were like yeah we have square so we have bitcoin we don't prefer it though there's too many transaction fees and it's slow <laughs> no, this is great i was like i'm gonna pay you in actual cash and they looked heartbroken because they had to like flip it with all this cash. They're like, you can't use the Square app? Come yeah, on, man. exactly. It was very good. Anyhow, so earlier this week, we did the full episode on the Vision Pro. We had Marquez, the Waveform crew, come on for a lightning round. That's already in the feed. If you're here for Apple Vision Pro news. Go get it. Go get it. I will say after that episode, I've been pondering it a little more, and I figured out exactly what I want to say about the Vision Pro. Okay. It is a simulator of the thing Apple wants to build. Mm. It is very obviously not the thing. It is just a very powerful hardware simulator of the thing. That's good. And in the same sense as like one of the things that's going to be interesting over the next six months or so is a lot of people are going to have to use Mac simulators to build stuff for the Vision Pro. And in the same way that you can't get the actual sense of the thing until you actually wear the actual thing, it is still that one leap removed from it. That's good. I actually like that a lot. I think that's really true. And I should I just want to say one thing. In addition to a bunch of follow-up I've gotten, there are a lot of people who are very curious about the field of view on this thing because it's sort of hard to describe in a way that makes sense. And the metaphor Because they don't that give I, you actual numbers, right? We've not yet gotten a number. You, you end up standing there with like your hands on your face going like, it's not this wide. It's not this wide. It's kind of this <laughs> wide. You know what I mean? And so, but the thing that I have heard, the metaphor I like best, and Neelai, I'm curious if you agree with this, is that it kind of looks like looking through the viewfinder of a camera where there are very clearly edges if you look for them, but you are also very much seeing the whole picture. But it still feels like you're looking through something and not as if there is an entire thing. Does that metaphor work for you? That really worked for me. Yeah, I get it. I I think I perceive the edges much more than other people. But, uh, you know, again, given the circumstances that I was, like, using the thing, I was looking for them. Right. It's the sort of thing you would stop noticing pretty quickly, I suspect. Yeah. Well, we're on video. Can you just wear Hold your hands now up. I have to do the th- the hands thing. <laughs> I'm making it's you not do it. Here. Okay, so 180 degrees is like a plane yeah. on your face. It's okay. this. <laughs> it's not 180 <laughs> degrees. Yeah, I don't know, 120? Okay. Somewhere in there. We did learn some important specs over the course of WWDC. 90 hertz refresh rate on That's the nice. displays. 
unless you are watching 24 uh, frames per second video content. So it's, it drops down. No, it goes up to oh. 96, which is an even multiple. So every frame is on there four times, uh, which is very smart, very Apple. Apple is saying more things about the Vision Pro to its developers over the course of WWDC, and some more technical information is coming out that we didn't have when we did our episode. And we'll, it's all on the site. All of it's very, it's minutiae. I love it. Right. I'm like, it's like I frame got rates so of the many. thing. There's a developer kit. We didn't know this. If you submit to Apple, they might send you a developer kit. That's interesting to know. I'm going to submit an app. You should submit an of app. people mimicking the field of view of it. My app anyway, is where you can just pour a beer that's virtual in the pro and just sort of make it slosh <laughs> back and forth. And it costs $10. I'm going to make a million dollars. You can make so much well, money. There was that app in the very beginning of the iPhone app store. It was just like, I am rich. Uh-huh. It just cost $100,000. And like people bought it. <laughs> it's very that's good. Brilliant. And it just displayed the words, I'm rich. Did you know that there are developers who literally refer to the fart app era of the iPhone? Like, this is a term I heard unprompted from several people referring (laughs) to, like, the early sort of halcyon days where people will buy anything just to see how it works. They call it is, like, canonically known as the fart app era of the iPhone. I like that very much. It is very good. Again, whole episode on the Vision Pro. Yep. More minutiae on the website that we still operate called TheVerge.com. The last good website. This episode is all about the other stuff. The OSs. Apple has uh, 400 of them. They are masters of releasing a feature for one OS and then releasing the same feature for another OS a year later and calling that new. So a lot of that to sort out. There are some new Macs we got to talk about. And then there's a crypto meltdown happening in the background of all this. And Liz Lapato is going to join us at the end of the show to tell us what is going on there. So let's start with the software. David, you have organized this by feature because I think that makes more sense than by OS. Yeah, I think for exactly the reason you're talking about that Apple tends to do this thing where it has kind of overlapping features that launch at different times on different devices, and they kind of do the same thing. If we were just to talk about this as OSs, we would just talk about iOS 17 for a long time, and then kind of little branches into other things, which is sort of how Apple does its software now. But I went through and found, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven kind of categories of things that Apple talked about. Some are big, some are small, but in terms of like Big new features that are either on one platform or several, I found a bunch, and I figured we can just go through a bunch of them. And widgets, as we've been talking about, is the first one. I feel like if I come out of WWDC 2023 with one thing, it's that widgets are back. Right? Is this yes. is this the takeaway? Yeah. After Apple killed them ruthlessly. <laughs> and, and I think the, the actual cycle there, I think, is super fascinating, right? Because we've been on this 15-year run where Apple just said... Everything is apps. And if you want to do things, the first thing you have to do is press on an icon and open an app. And every app became a universe unto itself. And everybody built gigantic businesses out of keeping you inside of an app as long as possible. And then over the last few years, there's been this push back in the other way that's like, actually, if all I want to do is check off a thing on my to-do list, isn't it objectively insane that I have to like page over three pages to in on my home screen, open an app, wait for it to load and log in and then do it again? Like, yes, that is insane. And so we're finding these ways to like stitch things back together and Apple's trying to figure out how to do stuff on the lock screen. And it's like, this was a good idea 15 years ago. <laughs> Widgets are great <laughs> and they should probably have existed this whole time and been much better, but they're coming back in a big way now. Apple has really never liked the idea of having live data on the home screen of the iPhone for years. And, you know, the joke is that the weather app icon was 72 and sunny for however long. They've finally gotten past that. Now they've added widgets to the iPhone. And they're 
you know, their big announcements for the iPad was like, the widgets are interactive. And it's like, <laughs> well, this should have been the whole time. So they, they went to just sort of like static display of data to now you can actually like mark a to-do done on the iPad. And then they've got these like big ideas that connect to their other bits and bobs of technology. Like the widgets on your iPhone will somehow connect over continuity to your Mac and appear on your Mac in some way. I don't. Why? So that you don't have to set up your widgets twice. Okay. Oh, right. well, like, and there's a huge number of things you are likely to do on your iPhone, like that won't work the same way on your Mac. Wait, name one of those things. Apple Classic Music. Apple Music Classic. But that's not a widget. But it should be. <laughs> and I, then I want it on my my Mac. That's the yeah. only one. What's one thing that you do on your iPhone that you shouldn't do on your Mac or you couldn't do on your Mac? That's uh-huh. a widget. That's like specifically a widget. I'm using my iPhone as my camera to do this show, so I can't look at it right now, which is hurting me emotionally. Uh, but I do think like th- there is this thing that Apple is trying to do, I think correctly, in which if I'm sitting at my computer and I have to pick up my phone, that is bad. Like I would argue that is a bad user experience every time I have to look at my phone while I'm also using my computer. And to me, widgets is one small step back in the direction of do computer things that are also phone things. And this is like what Windows and Android have been working towards together for a long time, right? And if you have a Chromebook and an Android phone, you've been able to do a lot of this stuff forever. But this is like, they're just slowly getting a little closer together. And especially with these more interactive widgets, being able to have the same information accessible in all the places goes a very long way for me. I have no idea how this is going to work. And I will say, my experience with things like continuity and handoff has not been good over time, so I don't have a ton of faith in this working super well, but it's at least an interesting idea. Yeah, it's super inconsistent, like con- continuity. Yeah. It's it's not reliable. Today, I definitely tried to do the thing where you copy something from a phone and uh-huh. paste it on the Mac, which usually works perfectly well. It was like a TikTok from three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was. It was a TikTok <laughs> from three days ago about something else that Apple announced. But, yeah. Um, it just beachballed my Mac today. It was like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I'm tired of pasting things from three days ago. That said, the widget idea for Apple, just in terms of what an app is and how you should interact with it and what's happening on your phone, they were apps, 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 right? Your whole phone turns into a single purpose appliance every time you open an app. Mm-hmm. And now they're getting to, we should have little bits of UI strewn about your entire experience that so you control things in the world, which is pretty cool. And I think especially in the iPad, you know, their view of the iPad home screen is like a control panel. But then there's actually a control panel. And so, like, they're they're just running into some mixed metaphors here. I think on the whole it's really good. Mm -hmm. But it's just fascinating to see them sort of deconstruct the apps and lift the controls out of them into widgets. Because then they they get to the next thing, which is the same widgets now run on the watch. See, I think they actually converted me to be anti-widgets. During their long anti-widget campaign. Really? Yeah. I, like, I have some widgets on my phone, right? I have like a, a weather one and a, and a calendar one. But I don't actually want to interact with that stuff. I like having my little compartments. And so all of these widgets and all this excitement for it and like, David, you saying, oh, yeah, now you'll be able to have the exact same info on both your phone and your laptop. I was like, oh, I hate that. I want my separate spots. I just thought of my widgets example, which okay, is, what is it? smart home stuff. 
A, interactive widgets is an extremely good way to do things like control my lights. If I just want to turn off the one light that I have connected, it's insane that I have to open an app every time. That should be a button on my home screen. And mm-hmm. now it can be. And that's also a thing I would like to be able to do in exactly the same way with exactly the system, the same system on my Mac that does not currently I exist. take it all back. Never mind. It just converted it back to widgets. You're into widgets it. now. It's just we done. Win. I'm like, oh, smart home? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Let's do it. But I do think it... it to your point, Alex, there is this interesting thing that Apple is trying to do, which is figure out how to give you more sort of tools and interactive stuff in widgets without it being overwhelming and annoying. Yeah. Because what you don't want and what there is a version of that could exist is essentially full apps running in teeny tiny icons all over your home screen all the time, which I mean, is a was... UI nightmare. It's a battery nightmare. It just, that's bad. And if Apple let developers do that, they would do that. They would just surface the whole app onto your home screen. And so there's like a, there's a middle ground somewhere that Apple is trying to find that I think is going to be really interesting. Yeah, because that's what I think of like Android in 2008, 2009. That was what they, the yeah. Android experience. And yeah. so I'm like, oh, I don't, it's not 2008. I don't want that experience. I want something nice. And, and like right now they're kind of clean. And I don't want to go back to like, you can do everything right here. It's basically the whole app in a tiny crummy square that you can barely see. I think this is actually now that you said Android, it's so indicative of where we are with these phones that Apple responded to the over widgetification by being of like, Android no. by being like, ours is clean. Yeah. We're not doing this. And now it's like, no one's going to yell at Apple for copying Android blatantly. They just, no one cares. Yeah. And like, screw it, widgets. You can have them back. I lo- look, I'm excited. Package tracking. Oof. Well, oh, that's a good one, too. Oh, my case. That's good. But you think about the, the combination of Apple stuff, live activities, the dynamic island and widgets. There's a lot of ways to put stuff on your phone that's like little bits and bobs of information. Yeah. There's not, there's not, we'll just see how it all goes. But that was like the theme of this whole thing was like a platform. Have you thought about putting widgets on it? And then the entire watch is like a series of widgets now. Yeah. It looks very much the same. I don't think that the changes to the watch are as big as they made them seem. No. Because it was just like, you want to go to the app? Now you can go to the app but still be able to see the time. (laughs) And that's useful. (laughs) But those are watch apps, right? Yeah. It was just like watch apps but a little smaller and a little less ugly. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, ironically, the two cases Apple made are you can see apps smaller like, you, like exactly you just said, and you can see apps bigger <laughs> because they, they spent all this time talking about, remember how they redesigned the apps so that they take yeah. up the larger screen on the new watches. So it's like apps bigger and also apps smaller, but apps fundamentally still the same. Like, yeah. That's the watch story. All right. Lots of changes to the phone app. Actually, that's what they led with. Yeah. That connects to other changes in FaceTime and messaging. What's going on there? So this is one that actually, I think, shows up across a bunch of different platforms in really interesting ways. And we should probably break it into two things. So there's the phone app and there's FaceTime, which I would have thought Apple would have tried to all sort of shove together, but it didn't really, uh, which is weird. But on the phone call side, the two big things that I can think of, and again, it's been a long week, I may have forgotten, are that A, now you have these things called contact posters that you can sort of make a a picture of yourself and have a font with your name that will now show up on other people's iPhones when you call them. I have a lot of questions about how that works, but it's kind of a neat idea, I think. And then the other one is this like visual real-time voicemail thing where now when somebody calls you, if you don't answer, it will start live transcribing the voicemail that they leave you and you can press a button and pick up the phone. And Neelai, you and I spent some time digging into how all of this works, and it is like truly 
bonkers, right? It's like, a hack. But it, uh, and I think Mark has rightfully pointed out on our last episode, this is very much how pixel call transcriber works. True. Yeah. But it's more limited, and it makes it's funnier because of just how it is limited. <laughs> so it's an, they made an answering machine. So right now, when you set up voicemail, you record a voicemail greeting, and it goes to your carrier. And if you don't answer your phone, your carrier's like cloud-based voicemail system does a thing, and visual voicemail happens. And I cannot tell you the last time I sent, listened to, or even acknowledged the existence of voicemail. My I have eighteen unlistened voicemails. Yeah, on my phone. yeah. I delete a bunch every time somebody calls me and tells me my voicemail is full. And short of that, I never <laughs> ever check my voicemail. But some people use it; it's great. But whatever. The people who I care for, they get the voicemail and they hang up and they send me a text. Yeah. That much far superior way of working through this. What Apple is doing now, when you set your voicemail greeting, it goes to two places. It goes to your carrier and it also lives on your phone. And when you get a call, your phone answers the call in the background, in a process, plays your greeting. So it's the listener does not know. And then it records the incoming audio and live transcribes it on the screen. So it's a little answering machine app. That's cool. It's a, a, I mean, it's hilarious that they've turned the phone into an answering machine. If your phone is not there, it falls back to the carrier cloud-based visual voicemail system. I love that they realized that we need better call screening. Well, because of all the robocall stuff. I mean, this is like the other piece of this is they did a bunch of work on robocalls, on letting you decide whether you even want to see them. So if carriers flag something as a robocall, your phone will not even let you know what happened, which is fascinating because they built all those hooks for call screening into the US. Like I use RoboKiller. It's an app I pay for. I'm kind of wondering, like, am I going to pay for this anymore? Because you built it in getting <laughs> Sherlock. They built all these hooks for these products to exist and like do screening for you. And now they're slowly building it into the OS. Is that who's in charge of those lists? Is that like a is that a thing your carrier has? Is that a thing Apple does? Like who who is the one saying this is probably spam? So that's that was that industry. Like RoboKiller has a list and you can like right. add to the list. But even now like I, I don't have RoboKiller or anything and I, I get calls that say, you know, likely spam. Or whatever. I assume that's the carriers who maintain that. Yeah, I think it's your carrier. So, but the carriers don't have like lists of like bad numbers or spam numbers. They have a product. They have stir slash shaken. Right, right, right. Great standard. And they're doing authentication of the numbers in some way. So I, I think that's where they're – because the, the high volume call spammers are spoofing the numbers. So now if you're, right. if you're, if you're making a call to spoof numbers, the carriers can detect that in some way. Which is why all the robocalls you get come from your local area code. Yeah, okay. which is so funny to me because now I just absolutely, resolutely do not answer the phone if it comes from my area code, which is hundreds of miles away from where yeah, I currently exactly. live and has nothing to offer me anymore. It's no one funny. in the city of Chicago can call me. <laughs> Sorry, exactly. you're not allowed. I don't yeah. care what. I don't care what you're is your spam. problem. <laughs> it's your spam. So that's really interesting that they built a little answering machine. The call posters thing, the contact posters thing, also fascinating because it is unclear. How the poster gets from my phone to your phone, just they and they haven't told us yet. So I call you on the regular old phone system, and I'll see. You, your I have AT and T, you have Verizon, whatever it is. I call from that. That's a regular phone call. There's no data channel in that phone call. Yeah, but suddenly I have data on you. But suddenly, before the call is even connected. Hmm. 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 That's suspicious. I don't think it's just, I think they just have to tell, like, it's just that's curious, what they do curious. with iMessage, for example, right? You try to send somebody a text message, they detect and it's like, whether both numbers are in the iMessage data. No, but, the, but iMessage will detect, like, you're trying to text this number. Yeah. And it will go look for that number in the iMessage database. 
and then it will like pr- change you over to iMessage. Getting out of that database, oh no, they don't want you. To <laughs> well, do that's that. also how you get the thing that'll pop up at the top sometimes, where it's like you know, so-and-so has updated their contact photo and you, or you can say like, share your contact information uh, and you just sort of hit the one button and share. And that makes sense to me over iMessage, but you can't do that SMS to SMS. And this is sort of the equivalent, which is really interesting. Yeah. Which is kind of where the FaceTime thing gets confusing for me, because if they had just said this works via FaceTime, which is functionally iMessage for voice and video calls, that would make perfect sense. But yeah, but the fact that this is still ostensibly a carrier calling thing is very interesting and confusing to me yeah i'm guessing apple is just extending that thing they do where they know what phone numbers are iphone numbers yeah and they're saying okay here's a contact poster you've made the call it doesn't update it until you make another phone call okay so if you have my contact poster i call you you're going to see the old one until we connect and then it will send you the new one there's there's just like a lot going on here that i think is like is, are the call posters they're gonna be your photo right because like you, right now everybody i think you can set them whatever you want because does that mean we're just going to get a bunch of big memojis? Because right now everybody I know uses memojis as their face. Really? Same, actually. vast yeah. majority of people. There's one or two who don't. But the majority do because, like, Apple encouraged you to make mm-hmm. a memoji. And so everybody did. And then it made the thing. So that means, like, we're going to have, like, giant memoji faces. Being like. Yeah. And then that's how they're going to bring us all slowly into Vision OS. Yeah. But I also get the sense it's going to be, I mean, the way it looks is like a lock screen, right? It's got sort of your name at the top where the clock would be. It's got the big full screen picture. My guess would be there's going to be a flow in which Apple sets, like asks you to set this up and prompts you to like pick a photo of yourself. Mine is going to be me doing finger guns in like a super (laughs) cool way. I'm going to be wearing a hat and doing finger guns. I'm pretty excited about it. I love this. No, we're in the 90s. We're in the 90s and early 2000s. We're not really at trucker hats and finger guns. It's going to be me in low-rise jeans with a Nelly (laughs) Band-Aid on my cheek. That's That's what what I'm saying. I'm going to have the Nelly Band-Aid. You're there. We're at at widgets in Mac OS (laughs) 10. We're not yet at trucker hats. The trucker hats are coming. You'll know this when Apple kills widgets the next time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Contact posters 3.0. David has a trucker hat. Uh, You cannot set different contact posters for different people or different lines. That's obviously the next turn. We're going to have to pretend to be excited about that next year. Mark my words. (laughs) Next year at WWC, Apple will say, contact posters for different people, and the crowd will go wild. Just as the crowd, I will say, talking about the early 2000s, went wild for updated PDF support on the iPad. They did. Like, you could hear it. Yeah. Uh, over over the the recording because you guys you guys for our listeners one of the ways that we cover the event is sometimes there's like a little microphone and we can hear the the keynote because you guys are there and so we could hear the like ooh <laughs> when it happened it was very very good it was good it was pretty funny FaceTime updates FaceTime basically just in more places you can leave FaceTime voicemail now I don't know how else to describe that that is separate from the regular voicemail. Somebody was being very hostile to millennial women about about that. They were like, they are the ones most likely to abuse that with their parents. And I was like, that's not it's absolutely true. That I'm you're going to do so many FaceTime, FaceTime voicemails? Yeah, with my parents. I was like, never felt more called out and like seen at the same time. I'm like, definitely so going to have my kid leave FaceTime voicemails for my parents. That's yeah. what they want. Yeah. We already do it. It's just taking a video and sending it to someone. Yeah. The thing that's weird about this, and this, I'm just realizing this right now, is the way that Apple is doing this with like 
cool stuff on the phone side, cool stuff on the FaceTime side, cool stuff on the messages side, but none of these things interact with each other. This is a very like Googly way of handling this, where it's like separate teams that have nothing to do with each other that are all kind of arriving at the same idea. Like, what if we could sort of talk synchronously, but also asynchronously, and we had a bunch of different ways to communicate? <laughs> like, the fact that FaceTime voicemails and audio messages in iMessage are different things and are also different from phone calls, which now have live transcribed voicemails, doesn't make any sense. There should be a thing like iMessage where it kind of fails gracefully from thing to thing, depending on what device you have. And instead now I'm like, okay, if I'm going to call you, do I call you on the phone and leave you a voicemail? Or do I mm -hmm. call you on FaceTime and leave you a voicemail? Or do I send you an audio message in the messages app. This doesn't make any sense. David, if this was 2004, right now, what you just said would have raised you $100 million <laughs> to build a universal messaging client. And then I would have sold to Google and there would have been, th I would and have it been would have gone away. You would have been yeah. like, why are there so many instant messaging <laughs> services? I mean, but right, like you can see, this is the thing that ordinarily Apple's very good at is being like, okay, we've just, we've just made a system. It's called calls. <laughs> I don't know. And it just <laughs> works. And it's like, okay, if it's on iPhone to iPhone, we're going to default you to FaceTime audio because that sounds better and you have all these cool new features. If they're not in the iMessage database, it just works. They have too many users to do this. I'm telling you that, that I agree with you. If you were clean sheeting this, like, well, it was uh, John Doerr was the VC who had the iFund. We, <laughs> sure. 2008, man, we would have uh -huh. raised so much money with exactly <laughs> this pitch. We have sat through this pitch so many times. Apple has too many users to reboot this. They're That's like, this true. icon makes phone calls. This icon makes FaceTime calls. This other icon is your voicemail. And this icon is some other stuff. And they're like, they have to educate 100 million people. And if you change the name of the phone app, you're going to freak everybody out. Yeah, you're probably right. Even the dumbest thing that I do all the time, which is I call, I call my parents mm -hmm. on the phone. And then Max rolls up to me and she's like, where are they? Because the idea of an audio-only phone call, she's like, what the stupid old people <laughs> ideas is, why can't I see who you're talking to? And then I just push the button to turn it into a face. Routinely blows everyone away. Yeah. Right? The idea that the, the audio voice call can turn into the FaceTime call is a paradigm shift that is, like, routinely confusing to most people. My parents, when it's the other way around, I know this happens to everyone else's parents, my parents will hang up the phone call and call me back on FaceTime. Because they're like, I'm, we're sh we're switching modes. My parents just get upset. Well, my dad's just fine upset. with it. My dad's fine <laughs> okay, with it. I don't want to look at you. He like he was watching the Vergecast like live blog. He's, oh, he's no. like a nerd. That's where I get it from. But my mom was like, she routinely accidentally FaceTimes me when she's on the phone. She like butt FaceTimes me when she's just talking to me on the phone. And I'm like, there's just the side of your face. Not your butt. Not your butt. Thank God. <laughs> Cheek time. Cheek time. <laughs> that works in both ways. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> I get your point, David. I'm just saying, I think they're, they're stuck by how many users they have. Yeah. They I think have, you're probably they, right. They have to do this a lot slower. FaceTime is coming to the Apple TV. I very confidently told an Apple person, I was like, can you just use the USB port on the Apple TV? And they looked at me. There's a USB port? Yeah. There was one in the first one on the bottom. It's gone, it's gone now. There's was not a, a lot of ports a, on there. It was a there. service port. Do you remember, though, finding the secret USB port is, like, always the great joy. Like, the, there was a Nintendo that had one. There was a Nintendo, like, the, the, the Apple, obviously. Yeah. Like, everybody anyway, always has, like, They were like, not TVs. excited that I knew about their secret port. <laughs> Whatever. They get uh, mad. So it's continuity. So you, you can use your phone or your iPad to make FaceTime calls on TV. Lord knows how that's going to work. Although I will say there's a really interesting new spec in iOS 17 that controls motorized docks. Mm -hmm. 
So you can see how you can like dock the thing. It'll like rotate. It'll tilt at you, whatever. The phone can follow you around. So wait, could you fa- – if I have the phone on my bedside table because I'm sleeping in – could my boss then FaceTime me and then slowly make it like yes. motor around and be like, wake up. I see you sleeping. <laughs> yes. Get your ass out of your, bed. Your boss. Your boss. <laughs> I, hypothetically, I don't know who that is. whoever that wake is. Wake up, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm awake. Uh, no, but the, for, for FaceTime, that's really fascinating, right? That you would, you can, you need some sort of, you got to prop up the phone somehow. And now there's all these other little, yeah. there's other ways to control docs, which I think is fascinating. I don't know if yeah. they're going to interplay, but you can see how they're coming together. We are kind of getting ahead of ourselves on that one, but I think the docs thing is super fascinating to me because, like, it's been, I don't know, a decade since, like, the iPod dock phenomenon died. And we're going to get, like, a whole new dock phenomenon now that we have standby mode and we have this this whole dock kit thing, which is what you're describing, where you can actually control the way a dock moves. Like, things you stick your phone on are going to be interesting again, and that makes me so happy. I'm telling you, it's back. It's early, We're going to have to start a gadget blog again just to cover Are, are the, the hotels, <laughs> like, budgeting for all of the docks they're going to have to add? Hotels it's... are budgeting for nothing. <laughs> I checked into my hotel in New York City last night, and they looked at me confidently and said, we're so excited. Room service is back. <laughs> it was just like chicken nuggets. Yeah. It was some, like whatever. Some tindies. They're like, they're, they're not even budgeting. It's, it's horrible. Last piece, they're adding USB-C support for webcams on the iPad and yep. microphones. Very excited about this. And this is like, this goes in with the FaceTime coming to Apple TV thing. It's just like more things get webcams. You can video conference on more things. That seems like a universally good thing to me. Why do you need one for your iPad? So if you have a display, so if you set up an iPad, you plugged in a display over USB-C and the display has a built-in webcam. How many people are plugging their iPad into a display and then being like, boy, I really need a webcam on top no, of that. No, Alex, do you know the real reason? It's because the iPad's camera is in a stupid place and is not <laughs> where it should be. And now you can put one in the middle like a normal person. <laughs> this is the best news of all time. Now you can have a webcam where a webcam should have been for 12 years, Apple. <laughs> do you have some, some feelings there, David? No. I'm, I cannot <laughs> wait for the first Center picture. Center stage is a great feature that doesn't cause any problems for anyone ever. It's great. I can't wait for the first picture of somebody with... The iPad in a keyboard dock with like a Logitech camera mounted where it should <laughs> like be. Like in a coffee shop. It's going to be great. Little mic. And then the last piece, which we should talk about maybe a little bit more, they're bringing communication safety to FaceTime, to photos, to AirDrop. That felt this, like this, huge news. It's like huge news. They just slid in. I mean, this was like such a big deal that they had to pull it the first time. Yeah, because it's scanning your images to detect for nudity and then be like, hey, did you know there's some nudes coming your way? And like... That shocks me. So the, the the scandal with this was before when they were doing it in the cloud and they were doing the on-device hashing and passing it back and forth to the cloud. There was a secondary scan. There was another feature that had a secondary scandal where it was alerting parents yeah. about children potentially getting nudes. That was a big deal. This is just on-device scanning. So a picture is coming in. Your iPhone looks at it locally says, we think there might be some nudity here. Are you sure you want to see this picture? How many people are like, well, actually, a lot of women are like, no. Yeah. Never mind. I forgot about dick pics. Yeah. It's like a real thing That is a real thing that a lot of women deal with. I'm so sorry. But they announced it. I think they there was a lot of confusion about that first set of announcements and what it all entailed. They announced this. Mm-hmm. They did not do a great job of explaining what this is. They and just think, like. 
shot right by it. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think so, that was very deliberate, right? That right, was, yeah. The, the louder Apple talks about this, the more people are going to ask questions about it. And I think, like what you're saying, Neil, about this being on device, they have answered a series of the most complicated questions about it. But it is still true that your device is scanning your photos and we can debate what that means. Like your phone, your, the photo's already on your device. Like it's not like your device is not aware of what this photo is. Yeah, your phone can happily search for things in your yeah. photos. Yeah. But then, and yeah, it'll it'll prompt you if you get one, if like if a child receives a photo that, that it perceives to be problematic, one of the things it will give you is uh, a pop-up where you can either, I think, block the contact who's sending it there's a few, there's a thing that just says message a grown-up which i think is very funny uh it's just like a very funny way to name that particular feature <laughs> uh but it's the kind of thing that is like it, it seems sort of like an obviously good idea at first and then kind of the longer you think about it the thornier the questions get about what this knows and who it should notify and the difference between sort of protecting someone and letting them use their own device the way that they want to it's it's super messy but Apple clearly thinks it's gotten this right because it's now starting to roll it out kind of everywhere you might see multimedia. Yeah. And I, this is way too much for this episode of the Vergecast, but just today, before we started recording, Louisiana passed a child safety bill. It says you can't sign up for services without parental consent. The parents can cancel your terms of service agreements from all the stuff. There are other bills in other states. A thing that is happening across the tech industry and across tech policy is using children as a stand-in for very, very aggressive surveillance and regulation. Yes. And we have pieces on it on the site. We can link it in the show notes. But this is this is right on the edge of that, where I, I think on balance it's fine, especially given Apple's history and privacy standards and parental control, like all that stuff. You're like, this is right on the line of fine. Yeah. Right? Like, you're a parent. You want to see if your kid's getting weird photos. You want your kid to be able to alert you. Like, all fine. There are some cases in that. You're a kid, you have an abusive parent where it gets real dicey, right? So, like, there's just some there's some big questions in there, but on balance, I think it's on the line of fine. You also can't troll your friends with Goatsy anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, maybe you can. We'll find out. It truly is the early 2000s again. Yeah, we're back <laughs> to the early 2000s. Speaking on the 2000s tip, Alex's favorite feature. My favorite feature. Airplane no, hotels. no. Alex is banned from talking about this on the Vergecast. I refuse. I didn't get get to talk about it. You guys are, this is is bullying. No. um, So they say that they're going to allow you to airplay in hotels. They could allow this today. Yes. This is my thing. It's like, I think this is theoretically a really cool feature that should already exist, but will never truly exist. Because, again, I stayed at a Marriott recently and there was still that iHome 2000s iPod dock in there. Like, I'm not really confident that I'm going to be getting airplay in my hotel anytime soon. No, it's not going to happen. Uh, there's going to be like, do you remember all those years ago? And it's still true now. You like you drive around and you see a hotel and they have the sign that says like vacancy one hundred and forty nine dollars a night. And then it just says like has HBO. Like, I wonder yeah. if, I wonder if airplay is going to be the new HBO that they'll just like put on the sign airplay. Well, that's what they're doing now. Like has Netflix. That's true, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not signing into my Netflix on, on this account. Which is exactly why I want AirPlay. That's the yeah. thing, right? It's like this, this in theory, solves a lot of problems because I don't have to log in. I don't have to remember to log out when I check out. But they have to replace that Linksys B router oh from 2003. Who, the everybody loves a captive one. portal. That's yeah. that's that's my that's my I feeling. love a captive portal. Yeah, this uh, to me is like the best idea and most unlikely thing to actually take hold that I saw. 
Yes. I swear to God, I'm just sitting here Googling. I swear they've made the airplane hotels announcement before. <laughs> it would <laughs> not surprise me. I mean, like, they announced airplay in 2010. They probably said it then. I'm guessing in 2011. They're like, and it will be coming to hotels soon. Like, one year With later. our partners at Hilton. And yeah. Hilton was like, no. <laughs> some, some Hilton person, like, wanders on stage. We're like, we love computers. Uh, they're <laughs> love our favorite. Wi-Fi. Chromecast had an, a, a big hotel partnership for a while there. Do you remember this? Yeah. And then it, it went away. Every time you see a screen, there's someone who's like, if I control the screen, I will make the money. And yeah. then there's you being like, what if I just send my phone to that screen? That's the CarPlay story and that Apple has won, much to society's detriment, mm. and it is not the hotel story. The last time I was in a hotel, I literally went and unplugged the HDMI cable from whatever garbage hotel box and plugged it into my laptop. I just watch whatever is on Nick at night. Like, that's become my, my main thing. It's usually Friends. Sometimes it's The Office. I just I scroll through the guide until one of those two shows appears, and that is my hotel TV experience, and it's fine. I have I have no notes. I don't need anything else. All right, so that's AirPlay. Another again, vintage two thousands announcement. Another vintage two thousands announcement was the uh, name drop, mm. where you can just walk up to someone and like wave your phone at them. Did, did they let you share contacts? Test that one. Like, did no. they have a very controlled demo for it? <laughs> no. Um, again, the TikTok that I was sharing that Alex uh-huh. was laughing at me about was in twenty thirteen. Craig Federighi was like, we've expanded contact sharing. <laughs> now you can just do it with a tap. You don't need to bump your phones together. Now you got to bump Now you got to bump your phones together. Craig, this was what? a whole startup. The startup was called Bump. There have been many startups trying to do this. Like There were so many years where everybody was like, NFC is going to change the way we interact with each other and forever. And now, no, it didn't happen. Uh, now it's like QR codes, NFC which is just NFC, but like it works. And now apparently we're getting the thing where you can bump your phones. Bump was number eight on Apple's list of all-time most popular free iPhone apps. By February wow. 2013, it had been downloaded 125 million times. It was acquired by Google and subsequently <laughs> shut down. Well, at least they had a nice, you know, at least they got some money before Apple Sherlock. And then it took Apple 10 yeah. years to replace it. Could I, just like the acquisition by Google, this... It's just three sentences long. On September 16th, 2013, Bump announced they'd been acquired by Google. On December 31, 2013, both Bump and Flock would be discontinued. The company subsequently deleted all user data and shut down their servers, rendering all apps inoperable. This is the most Google acquisition story ever. It's beautiful. Like, when you get acquired by Google, you should be forced to pre-announce that your service will be discontinued. (laughs) Don't worry, we're deleting all your data. (laughs) Like, Lena Khan, you want to accomplish something? Write a law that's like, if you are acquired by Google, you have to pre-announce that your product is a failure (laughs) and no one will ever get to use it again. That's how you stop mergers in America. (laughs) You just skip to the end. You got acquired by AT&T. Guess what? Five years from now, AT&T is going to sell you for parts. (laughs) Just pre-announce it. We did this for money. All right. That's enough. And then the last one was they expanded airdrop so it works over the internet, which is cool. Yeah, yep. that's cool. But mm-hmm. only if you're – so you're both signed in iCloud. You leave. It'll continue to transfer over iCloud. That's all I want. Get excited for Gritty. And you can now set up things like SharePlay and AirDrop by touching your phones together, which, sure. This is the sort of thing – so my – the only time I have ever been like, wow – AirDrop is an amazing, magical piece of technology. And I think I've talked about this on the show. I was at the uh, Formula One race in October, and 
we were standing there waiting for all the drivers to come in. And we happened to be at the very front of a crowd of like a hundred people. And so my friend Steven had the best view and was filming everything as everybody came in. And then he would just open up airdrop and just tap on every name he could find. And he would just send this video to all of the phones on all the people around us. And it was like, it was like the most incredible file sharing experience I have ever had. And ever since I'm now like an airdrop true believer, I just use it to like send stuff from my phone to my computer. But yeah. to have it actually work socially, I was like, oh, this is this is something. There's really something here. And that idea that I could just like, I have a thing that you want and you just sort of like boop my phone and you have it. I mean, I, it could work. Yeah. And that's why Google bought Bump in September of 2013. <laughs> Ten years And now ago. Nearby Share exists. <laughs> just yes. now. If you work at Google and you, and you can tell me whether one letter of code from Bump made it into nearby share, <laughs> one le- like that's it. That's the bar. One letter, one bracket of code from Bump is a nearby share. Let me know. I would love to know the answer to that question. Let's lightning around the, the rest of the stuff. Standby mode, probably everybody has seen if you're listening to the show. That was Apple's big announcement in iOS 17. You put your phone when it's charging on its side. The OLED phones will just like always on to show you a clock. They made an alarm clock. Yeah. Another cool use of widgets, by the way. You can run both a clock and you can have widgets appear. So that's another, it's like a full screen widget experience. Too much information. I'm not mad at it. Oh my God. What was the name of the thing that ran the widgets? The little guy? Chumby? It was this- Chumby. They made Chumby. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the little guy. <laughs> they sure locked Chumby. <laughs> they sure locked <laughs> Here's my social clip. Ready? I'm going to look right at the camera and say, they Sherlock Chumby. <laughs> <laughs> that means something. That means something to a lot of people. And if you're not one of them, stop scrolling and go do your research. <laughs> they Sherlock Chumby. <laughs> a million views on TikTok. I just went to Chumby's website. You can still buy a Chumby, apparently. <laughs> Does it run confabulator widgets, doesn't it? I just it? want to read you several things that are on the Chumby website. Okay. Uh, unbrick your Sony dash. Details here. <laughs> Activate a Chumby. Deactivate a Chumby. <laughs> these, are, these are some of the largest and most important things on the Chumby website. <laughs> That's very, very good. God, it's beautiful. Siri can now ha- handle multiple smart home commands in a row. That's great. They cut it to just Siri. Which, whatever, I don't, hey, hey Siri, wasn't that hard to say? So the thing that's actually interesting to me about this, and the reason I put it on here, because I agree that the features themselves are kind of whatever. You can have longer conversations. It's slightly easier. I expect Siri to be 1,000 times worse with the false positives than it has been before. That's going to be awful. But are you guys slightly surprised that Apple is continuing with Siri as kind of an ongoing concern? I kind of thought Siri was being phased out and there was eventually going to be some other... Too many users. You think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Siri sucks. Setting, it has this like decade timers long... and asking for music all the time. Yeah, yeah mean, that's, that's all you true. need it for. Even like, Craig said that on stage. He was like, when he was giving the examples for what Siri can do, now it can do multiple timers. Yes. Hooray. But uh, he literally was like, people, you love to use Siri for, you know, playing music and setting timers. And it was like, oh, so Craig knows the only two things that anyone ever does with their voice assistants. Apple is a trapped in it's a prison of its own success. And it can only leave that by leaping headfirst into the metaverse. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that is that is perfectly fair. But I, I kind of thought Apple might take the like AI revolution as a chance to do basically what Microsoft did and be like, forget all these things we've done before. Like Siri is clippy with another name, right? It's like a thing that seemed nifty and is bad tech and everybody hates it. And you would think they would have taken this moment as a possible opportunity to rebrand. And I'm just surprised they didn't. They need to do the big change, right? 
you can get rid of Siri. You need to replace it with like, here's the generative AI chatbot assistant of your dreams that is taking actions on your behalf. And they don't have it. The only mentions they had of generative AI in this whole keynote uh, were in the keyboard. Can I give you a theory that I think I'm absolutely right about? That generative AI chatbot exists and it's called Spotlight. That is going to be the thing. Like over the next three years, Spotlight is going to be a more and more important part of all of these platforms. And that's where all of the actual AI focus is going to be. Because it's the search box. It's the search box. They're increasingly putting like actions into Spotlight so you can do stuff right from the search results. It's how you open apps. It's how you find things. It's like that is where if I'm Apple, that's where all the AI stuff is going to go. Not Siri, Spotlight. So they're going to Sherlock Alfred. Yeah. Like the I mean, Sherlock Chumby. <laughs> yeah. God, no. Do you think at Chumby headquarters, they were like, it finally happened? <laughs> Do you think if we called this episode, they Sherlocked Chumby, anyone would listen to it? <laughs> I think that we have only one choice at this point in time. Look, Alex Heath just put up a story about Mark Zuckerberg's reaction to the Vision Pro. I think it is incumbent upon us. If you're out there, you're a young reporter and you're trying to break onto the verge. Send us a note about how you're going to get the chumby reaction to standby mode. I'll run it. I'll, <laughs> we'll pay market rate. We'll run that story. What's going on inside a chumby HQ? Bring me pictures of Spider-Man. Is there a chumby HQ? I was like, is there a chumby HQ? <laughs> All right. Last few things. Last few things, mostly on the watch side. Uh, the side button now opens a control center for the watch, which is cool. They're Ooh. updating the polling rate for motion to enable new kinds of apps for golf, for hiking, for cycling. You can- Plug Tennis. in your, your, your computers and stuff for, for cycling now so you can have, like, cadence monitors and stuff. Yeah. They Sherlocked Peloton. They Sherlocked Peloton. Good. Yeah. But, like, no, I think that one's super useful because it's been, like, a holdback if you want to go ride your bike out in the world and check your cadence. You can't do anything with Apple on it. and It sucks. David has written here, add a watch to group FaceTime. I am Why? so excited about this. Just purely as a trolling mechanism. Like you get to be the person everybody is on FaceTime and you just show up on your watch. That's both like a power move and the cruelest thing you can possibly do to somebody. That is all it. my mom is going to do. That's great. The watch now have maps in general has offline maps, which is a huge way late addition. You can do that partially on the watch now. And then we mentioned this very briefly on the last episode uh, in the waveform segment. But when you go on a hike, the watch will set a waypoint for the last place that you had cell signal. In the last place that you had any cell signal from any carrier, she could place an emergency call, which is really smart. Just yeah, smart good. stuff all around. Okay, that's it. I mean, that's not it. There is so much. Yeah, Apple announced so much stuff, all kind of quality of life features all the way around. Very cool. But we got to take a break and talk about these Macs. We'll be right back. Support of the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash birchcast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash birchcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash birchcast. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. All right, we're back. Now, I want to tell you some very important news that happened while we were in break. I went to Chumby.com as well. <laughs> and I just want to read you this list of the most popular Chumby widgets. <laughs> it's the, it's weather, obviously. Of course. Uh, I can hash cheeseburger. Oh, very important. The very fail important. blog. Mm. Life Hacker News. Okay. And our friends at Dig. <laughs> Early is, 2000s, man. Yeah, man. I wonder if that Life Hacker widget still works. Uh, you got to get a Chumby and you can buy a used Chumby still on the site. This is your new project, Alex. This is my new project. This can you run do. Plex on a Chumby? No, probably. <laughs> it's probably true. All right, let's talk about the Max real quick uh, and then talk about some good stuff that didn't hit the keynote. Then we're going to bring Liz on to talk crypto. The Macs, I feel like, is not, they're not a complicated story. 15-inch MacBook Air. Big, cheap Mac. Big, Yeah, but, well, it's cheap-ish. Right. 15-inch screen. It feels like they pulled the ripcord on the last category of laptops. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, like everybody bought their upgrades in the pandemic. Mac sales have slowed way down. They're like... Big cheap screen. Mm-hmm. Do you want it? It looks great. We saw it. We got to play with it. It's a 500 nit display. It's not going to blow anybody away. But, but it's still pretty. It's pretty. It's very thin. It's fast. They did a thing where they calibrated the battery life to be exactly the same as a 13 inch. So it's 18 hours of video playback, whatever that means. Instead of like. Vastly more battery life. Yeah. That's. Maybe it'll run faster because of that. I don't know. But they. They. They just picked that number and they went towards it. Have fun, Monica, whenever. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot to say about the MacBook Air. I mean, to be fair, that's a lot of battery life. I don't know that, like, I would rather have more, you know, performance on a bigger display as opposed to going to, like, 20 hours of battery life. It's already, like, you can use it all day and it will be fine. And that, for a laptop, is two days enough for me. I want two two days. days. (laughs) Just push it. See what happens. I just feel like at this point, I'm so conditioned to bring my laptop charger and charge it obsessively that like laptop battery life is almost meaningless to me at this point. I have 10% battery life. Oh, I completely disagree. I never charge this laptop. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I used it all day at the Apple event. Can I tell my story about the photos? I got the first photos of the vision pro you did in the world on the web. I I ran ran. around saying old man still got it. The rest of the day, (laughs) the rest of the day, just shouting it as you're shooting photos. Years of being 
a blog, like a baby blogger with no access. I'm like, whatever, get out of my way. I pushed Alex Heath out of the way <laughs> to take this photo with my 11-year-old Nikon D7500 with a 40-millimeter micro lens. The single greatest hands-on photo setup of all time cannot be replaced. Don't even try me. And you know what? You want to? I still beat you. I got that photo up. I broke the only rule that we have, which is don't open Lightroom at the event. I opened Lightroom and made it good. Because everyone else is eating cookies. I'm, I was done. <laughs> Anyhow, I did all of that. Uh-huh. Processed the photos, whatever. Didn't plug in my laptop until I got home that night. I spent. The, I live logged the thing. I did the photo hands-on of the Vision Pro and the Mac Pro, whatever other coverage. I wrote as fast as I could that Vision Pro hands-on. That night I got home. I still had 15% battery. What if I'd had a whole other day? How much more 11-year-old camera usage could I have gotten out of this computer? <laughs> no, to be clear, I'm I'm pro as much battery life as possible. But I think in this case, especially with the M2 Air, we've seen it hit the like throttling threshold earlier than we might like. Yeah. And I think in this case, I'm maybe happy to make a little bit of a battery life trade, given how good the battery life already is, in order to eke out a little more performance. We don't know that that's the case. Yeah, we're going to have to find out. We'll have to see when we review the thing. But that if if that's the trade they made... I'm okay with that trade. Apple very much also sticking with 8 gigs of RAM in the base models of these mm. things, which they have more or less been proven. Like, it's fine. You can definitely hit the swap on these computers. Pretty I, fast, yeah. I'd like them to go up on that. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. They announced Mac OS Sonoma. We've already talked about most of the features in there. Game mode is really interesting. Yeah, I think the big surprise here was that they just kind of skated right by it, that you can now just play Windows games on this. Like, like they they're using they're using the emulation software, they're the, kind of the emulation backend that Crossover uses to run kind of wine based emulation of, of Windows games, and essentially it's so that developers can ch- test it and see if it works. But it just works. <laughs> yeah, we're already seeing people. There was somebody who was tweeting. I think they they got Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven running on a Mac with basically no work. Yeah, for like fifteen FPS on an but on an M one like MacBook Air. So I, I'm really, really curious to see kind of what's going to happen there. I'm definitely not going to be putting uh, a beta on my SSD to test it out this weekend. That would no, be definitely wrong. not. <laughs> no, who would do <laughs> totally that? Totally not. Who would do that? Sonoma also has new support for WebKit-based apps. You can just put them in the dock. They can send notifications. I'm very excited about this. Yes. No one else cares. I'm telling you, this is— We were all excited, just not as excited. The politics of web-based apps and desktop operating systems— <laughs> Are the future. And then there's obviously the Mac Pro and the Mac Studio, which we should spend a lot of time on. I think we will in the next coming weeks. The Mac Studio basically gets the M2 Ultra, which is two M2 Max chips put together, up to 192 gigs of RAM. The interesting thing, we were told repeatedly with 100% confidence, the M2 Ultra in the Mac Studio has the same performance as the M2 Ultra in the Mac Pro. So if you don't need PCI slots. So the only reason you're buying the Mac Pro is PCI slots. There's no more thermal headroom in that chassis. We were told that if you attempted, if you wrote like a power virus, yeah, the Mac Pro's additional cooling capability might, but like only in that most extreme circumstance, are you going to see it? Yeah. But like in almost every situation, the performance is exactly the same. And it's very clear to us, like Alex, what you just said is exactly right, that if you have pre-existing expansion slot PCI needs, the Mac Pro is for you. It's in the same chassis as before. 
Dan was very annoyed that it's in the same chassis as before. Despite it's a beautiful chassis. It's cute. I think it's great looking. I don't know why Dan was so annoyed, but Dan was very annoyed. I think the cheese just... The cheese grates. It's beautiful. But it is it is functionally exactly the same computer, just in a bigger thing with some USB ports and expansion slots. And the Mac Studio... I think Apple seems to think that if you are sort of starting from scratch, you are vastly more likely to start with the Mac Studio. But if you're like dropping into a bunch of existing equipment, which lots of people are, A, there's a good chance you're upgrading an old Mac Pro and you're just going to drop this in. And B, this is a thing you need. So it's kind of like if you know for sure that you need it, the Mac Pro is for you and it's also $7,000. If the Mac Pro isn't the thing you know for sure you obviously need, the Mac Studio is probably for you. Like that seems to be very clearly how Apple thinks about this. Yeah, and I think that's always been true of the Mac Pro. The, the fascinating thing is a lot of slots. If you look at the pictures when it's open, there's two cards in there already. The first card's kind of a fake. It's not actually in a slot. It's just sort of like at a 90 degree to give you basic I.O. The second slot, or the second card, is a slot. So you can pull that out and take out like the HDMI connectors and put in whatever else you want. And then there's the six slots below it. The six slot is a compatibility slot for older PCI cards that don't play well with the new standards. All It's all like backward compatible focused in a way that Apple is not often backwards compatible focused. But they have to be for pros. But for pros, the thing is like you cannot put a GPU in there. Yeah. That, it's that's not allowed. That's the thing I keep thinking about. Like what are the PCI – slot usages in this case. It's so much pro stuff. It is ultra-fast networking. It is ultra-fast SSDs. It is it's at SDI connectors for displays and cameras. 99% of us don't need or care about. Yeah, you are working in a gigantic video editing house, a post house, and you have effectively turned 60 Mac Pros into a single Mac Pro using SDI and like networking standards. And now you can do it again. And now you can do it again, right? Like there, There's stuff here that you want. It's not an accident that the demo Apple uses is Avatar The Way of Water. It's like it, it is deliberately for people way at the end of any spectrum you can think of. And if you're if you're making if you're James Cameron, you're probably going to buy one of these. And one of my favorite yeah. things that happened at WWDC was Neil I asking Apple people, have you considered the societal implications of giving James Cameron this much computing power? <laughs> Which I think is a very important thing that we are still not spending enough time talking about. Uh, but like it's it's for James it's for the James Camerons of the world and kind of nobody else at this point. But but the the two interesting parts are one you have to do a big paradigm shift. How much GPU do you need? There's two GPU options. Which one? You're not. It's not the same as your AMD and your NVIDIA GPUs. What if you want to use some of the cool NVIDIA stuff that they're doing around machine nope. learning and generative AI and tra- nope, that's not going to happen on this platform. And then how much RAM do you need? Because guess what? You have to decide at purchase. That's brutal. And it's not a terabyte and a half, which is what you get in old night. Does that equal 192 gigs of RAM? It's unified on the chip between. And, you know, their argument is the SSDs are fast. Having unified memory means the CPU gets memory that's as fast as GPU memory, and the GPU memory gets as much memory as CPUs normally get. That trade-off is worth And it's like we're just a little – I mean, the M1's been out for a while now, but we're still pretty early in the overall experiment of unified memory. Yeah. Especially for these kinds of applications. And I just don't know the answers. So like I said, I think we are going to need to spend a lot more time talking about these computers and what they mean. Because uh, a split that is occurring is between Apple's ideas about GPUs and NVIDIA's ideas about GPUs. And they're just – NVIDIA is much more in charge of the PC ecosystem right now than Intel, in my opinion. A hundred percent. They're in charge of like half of the gaming industry too. Just for PC gaming, of course. But – yeah, they, they have really outsized role 
and hate Apple. No, oh, these companies hate each other. It's so bad. So much. All right. There's still a lot of stuff. David has promised me that he can lightning fast go get through all the cool stuff that Apple didn't announce at the keynote that happened at WDC. David, go. This was an unusually non-keynote WWDC in the sense that they had so much to get through and they spent so much time on the Vision Pro that there wasn't even time to get through all this stuff. What they didn't announce in the keynote is one of my favorite genres of internet article right after WWDC, and this year's a good one. So here are a bunch of the ones that I think are very cool. You can now clean up verification codes in mail and messages. Um, they'll autofill even if you get them in an email, which is awesome. Uh, you get EV charging with real-time availability. So if you're driving an EV, you'll get more information in Apple Maps than before. There's pet recognition in photos in iOS 17. So you can search for like the name of your pet or my dog as opposed to having to dig through just like it works with people now. Uh, you can put people's pronouns in your contact info, which is great. You can ping your watch from the control center, which is awesome because I constantly leave my watch places. You can link to notes in other notes, which all my productivity nerds will understand is very exciting. You can automatically categorize your grocery lists and reminders, which Dan talked about for six and a half hours in the last episode. Thank you, Dan. Uh, multiple people can share air tags, which is cool. So if you have like a thing you want to track, multiple people can track at the same time. You can toggle settings and shortcuts within a spotlight search. So if you search for Wi-Fi, you can actually turn Wi-Fi on and off right from the spotlight search results. You get a thing called visual lookup in paused video frames. So you can pause a recipe and you can pull the thing you're making out of it and actually use it to look it up from YouTube, which is very cool. You can share passwords and pass keys across devices and with other people. You can use any email address or phone number in your iCloud account to log into your iCloud account so you don't have to remember which is like your official iCloud password. A stage manager is much better. There's some like free form windowing that's much closer to what we've been looking for for a long time. And finally, there is a thing if you have Apple TV 4K and a HomePod that just enhances dialogue so you can actually hear what the hell is going on in all of your TV shows. There's more, but that's all my favorite stuff. I have to say saying stage manager is much better. Mm. Bold, David. We'll Listen, see. We will see if stage manager is much better. I would say I am on the record more than most as someone who thinks stage manager sucks and should be killed and buried. But they said free windowing several times to us. That's true. So I am hopeful that Apple has finally done the thing it obviously should have done the whole time. I hope it's not I hope it's the jankiest free windowing ever. <laughs> Just because I want to see David's face. Just to torture yeah. me. Being like, yeah, thank you. Like, Here's I what I want to say. David I've been thinking about this a lot as I was going through that list. One, as I add free windowing to the iPad, just turn the iPad into a Mac. It's fine. Yeah. Second, they are almost completely out of excuses to add a touchscreen to the Mac because they always yes. complain that people have their hands tired holding them up in the air. And they announce the Vision Pro where you control it by waving your hands around in the air. Yep. Just me, saying, everybody. Let me touch my screen. All right. We got to take a break. That's enough Apple talk. We're going to bring on Liz. We're going to talk a little crypto and we're going to get out of here. We'll be right back. It's the first cast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. 
So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right, we're back. Liz Lopato is here. Hey, Liz. Hey, I'm operating as a fucking unlicensed security exchange in the USA, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's the Merchcast, everybody, with Liz on it. <laughs> yeah, that's what else do we need to know? <laughs> so before we get started with Liz talking about what's going on with Binance, uh, literally, as we've been recording, Alex Heath is live blogging an internal meta all hands. Very good. Uh, I just want to read you two quotes. Here's Zuckerberg on the Apple Vision Pro. Mm-hmm. I really think their announcement showcases differences in the values and vision that our companies bring to this in a way that I think is important. The quest is about people interacting in new ways and feeling closer and doing things together. By contrast, every demo Apple showed was a person sitting on a couch by themselves. That could be the future of computing, but like, that's not the one I want. The like is important. I think that's very important. Yeah. That's so good. Like, (laughs) it's it's really good. It's a good Zuck response. And then they showed the Twitter competitor, Project 92. We think it's going to be called Threads. Uh, surprise, it looks like an Instagram comment section because <laughs> oh it's God. being built by the Instagram team. Shocked. I'm very excited about this. It's going to be interoperable with ActivityPub. The joy on your face just now. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about this. But that is really like I cannot overstate the extent to which it just looks like the Instagram comments, which is fine. <laughs> it's super. It looks just like is the Instagram, Instagram comments. comments. Section. Yeah. The question is whether they're going to ActivityPub the rest of Instagram, which I think would be very fascinating. But that's on the side. Now you can go look at that picture. You can go read the Zuck quotes. Alex is going to have more in command line. He is... We just spent a bunch of time with him at the Apple event. Alex Heath in reporter mode, very good. It's good times. Very good. A burst of pure energy. Anyway, that's that. Go look at it on the site. Liz. Hi. Speaking of reporter mode, there's been a lot of crypto news this week happening in the background of the Apple event, and it appears that people are going to go to jail. What's going on? (laughs) Well, we only have civil suits so far, though I have to say the Binance civil suit kind of looks like they've stapled a criminal complaint to a civil suit. So I'm very excited for whatever the DOJ is going to do. But uh, there are a couple of things. The first thing is that Binance and Coinbase have both been accused of operating as unlicensed um, securities exchanges in the U.S. Now, obviously, uh, Coinbase is going to fight this because it's an existential threat to their business model. And they're like the good boys or like the wannabe good boys. They're the wannabe good boys. And like, to be clear, the facts, like the fact patterns in the cases are really different. So like, if you look at the, um, the Coinbase complaint, it's pretty buttoned up and it's a little bloodless. And that's fine. That's kind of what I expected out of Coinbase. I didn't expect any like group chats called wired fraud or like, <laughs> you know, um, exciting things from the, the, the chief compliance officer where he talks about using VPNs to get around, uh, geofencing, you know, like the, the fun stuff that we've seen already from the CFTC complaint against Binance. But at the same time, doesn't, doesn't the SEC basically also just kind of say Coinbase is illegal? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 100%. (laughs) So it's like, it's a very like kind way of being like, your business is a bad one. Stop doing it. Well, so here's, here's the thing is like how I'm looking at it or how I'm thinking about it anyway. Like to the degree that Coinbase has done anything illegal, it's like a procedural crime. Like they're not screwing their customers. There's no wash trading. They're not being accused of like any of a variety of things that would make you lose confidence in Coinbase as a company custodying your tokens. Right. We just call those things FTXing now. They're not FTXing. Right. You know who is FTXing, though, is fucking Binance. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So uh, sort of the Coinbase one is like the SEC is basically saying most crypto tokens are securities to run a security to run an exchange you need to be registered and follow those rules none of you have done that illegal yeah right and coinbase is like uh we don't think that's illegal and like that's like a good natured sort of like university debate club argument and they have known for a long time the argument is coming binance i mean i saw one note from like their chief compliance officer that's like bro we're running a fucking unlicensed security exchange which is how liz started the episode like that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Philip Lim. He's like not named in this complaint, but he is named in the CFT or sorry, not Philip Lim, Samuel Lim. He's named in the CFTC complaint. And there's like a bunch of stuff here where like it's trivially obvious who likes talking, even though it's like, oh, it's CEO A, it's CEO B, <laughs> who, by the way, singing like birds. Like, I don't know if you were catching that, but they are already testifying. Ooh. So... I thought the Binance complaint was like really interesting because I think there must be a criminal case coming because so much of what's happening here does seem like DOJ stuff. And we've already heard a little bit about like Binance sanction evasion stuff. And like there was a Reuters report last year about like Binance coming in to meet with the DOJ to talk about maybe doing a plea deal. And like we haven't seen a plea deal. So maybe the DOJ is amassing more information. I don't know. But like to me, these are these are there are several remarkable things going on. Thing one is that um, we had a bill introduced uh, last Friday, so right before both of these complaints dropped uh, by House Republicans to uh, deal with this sort of token issue and decide whether they're securities or commodities, and if they are securities, giving them a route to become commodities. And frankly, I don't think this bill is going to go anywhere because the Democrats control the Senate. But it is really curious timing to drop both of these suits immediately afterwards. And the Coinbase suit was dropped the same day that um, Paul Gruel, who I think is their uh, chief legal officer, was testifying. So, you know, that's like a cute little present from the SEC. (laughs) Very polite. So that's interesting to me. But both of these are massive cases. And both of them have the possibility of setting policy about what is and is not uh, a security when it comes to digital assets. And I don't necessarily know that the SEC has the resources to try them both at the exact same time, which makes me very suspicious about like a forthcoming criminal complaint with Binance. Because the DOJ is so well staffed and under no pressure at all. (laughs) Faces no political headwinds whatsoever. Definitely not busy with some other stuff. But the case against Binance is essentially like it's amazing how similar it seemed to me to be the case against FTX, which is essentially we have a lot of money and we're using it in thoroughly bonkers, totally inappropriate, extremely illegal ways. And Binance Binance didn't run out of money. But Binance was also a big part of the reason FTX ran out of money. Right. Like Binance started the run against FTX that led to all of this in a very real way and now is 
kind of being chased down the same road, it seems like? Not to say I told you so, (laughs) but I did point out at the time that uh, CZ had basically painted a gigantic target on his back by kicking all of this off. And like this is like the first of what I think is going to be several arrows getting fired at him. Because like, yeah, you're right. Like they absolutely like that absolute like Twitter beef, the run that then revealed the fraud, like intimately involved. But what's interesting here is that there seems to be a bunch of allegations that feel pretty FTX like. So all of these there are all of these corporate entities that are controlled directly by CZ. Um, you have CPZ Holdings, you have Binance Holdings Limited, which is what runs Binance, you have Sigma Chain, you have Merit Peak, and you have Coin Market Cap. And the ones that matter for our purposes are Sigma Chain and Merit Peak, because some of the allegations in here involve stuff that feels very familiar. So, like for instance, we have Binance transferring $17 million from BAM Trading, and that's the parent company for Binance US, to Merit Peak. And then the BAM CEO being like, uh, where did you get that money and where is it going? (laughs) Jay, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, just keep going. (laughs) The literal quote is, I'm on a wild goose chase to make sure that we have knowledge of where $17 million is moving around. Wow. So uh, let me just, let's zoom out. We all lived through crypto summer. Expressing any skepticism about crypto at that time was met with a just open hostility that we were stopping the future of all finance. And the questions we were asking, I would say, were not overly skeptical. It was more like, hey, doesn't it seem like you're trading securities? <laughs> right? Like, doesn't it seem like these are all just Ponzi schemes? The line's going up for no reason. What's the utility of these? Pro- like, yeah. pretty basic questions. And it feels like maybe that industry has come to its logical end point. Right. Where like they are almost like banks or almost like stock exchanges. And now they're just going to have to be those things if they want to survive at all. Yeah. I mean, look, here's here's the thing. It's funny you mentioned things going up for no reason because we have allegations of wash trading in this complaint. And for those of you who are maybe not familiar with wash trading, it's when I buy an asset from myself for an increased price to make the asset price go up. And it is like illegal. Like that's like that's not a question. We have we have laws about that. It's illegal. And so one of these entities, Sigma Chain, is alleged to have been involved with wash trading on Binance.us. And there were a couple of periods where that seems to have been uh, a big deal. And there's, uh, again, a quote here where they're talking about volume and one employee messages uh, the CEO and is like, FYI, these are all Sigma chain and then lists 20 account numbers. (laughs) Oh, no. So that's not great. So when we say things went up for no reason, I'm not convinced there was no reason. I think there may have been some market manipulation involved. And you may, in fact, remember, like when we were talking about NFTs during this time, one of the use cases I suggested was money laundering and money laundering and wash trading often go hand in hand. So I am like very interested in all of this because reading between the lines, it seems like there's some like real wild shit going on at Binance. And right now, Binance CZ is obviously under fire and he's saying that this might affect Binance US, but not Binance overall, correct? Like, 
What happens? This is now? my favorite thing you did all week, Liz. I just want to I just want to give you credit for this because what that tweet is is the tweet that everyone sends right before it all falls apart, where they say this only affects our stuff in the U.S. Most of our stuff is elsewhere. It's no problems. Everything's going to be fine. Or they say the reverse, like this will affect everything, but our customers in the United States will be fine because whatever it's regulated. And what almost always happens right after that is absolutely everything collapses spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> and you just you did this quick post on the site that was basically like that tweet and then a bunch of links to all of the bad things that happen to people right after they tweet this. And I just very much enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, you wind up with these weird grooves in your brain after like covering this beat for too long where you see one of those tweets and you go, uh oh. <laughs> um, although I will say that, like, again, if there is a ton of wash trading going on and a lot of this stuff is CZ himself, then maybe it doesn't collapse because CZ doesn't want his own business to collapse. I don't know. Um, there are just like a lot of question marks to me now around Binance, period, that you know, didn't necessarily exist before. Like, you know, uh, I, I gossip a lot. That's like one of my favorite things to do. I grew up in a small town. Like, it's just one of my hobbies. And even the people I talk to who like CZ think he's pretty cutthroat. So I'm interested to see how this all plays out because I, I think that he is kind of getting painted into a corner here. And what happens after that is like question mark, question mark, question mark. And he's not going to do the altruism. Let me go on the New York Times stage to talk about all of hey, my the crimes. conference coming up, CZ. Hey, yeah. CZ, bring, you want to come on the Verge cast? Bring yeah. it on. CZ on the Verge cast would be amazing. Right? <laughs> I, I, all right. Let's, sold. Screw Anytime. crypto. Let's talk USBC. <laughs> Liz, I just want to come back to that big zoom out question again. We went through the crypto hype cycle. We are now in very much crypto winter. Even like Andreessen Horowitz, I mean, Mark Andreessen's like publishing long screeds about why AI is fine, actually. Just let it have your job. It's, is it over? Is it coming back? What's, gonna, what's going on here? It's a good question. I don't know if it's over. I will say that one thing that I think about a lot is that crypto launched into an extended period of low interest rates when there was a lot of like free money like flopping around. And we're now back in a normal interest rate environment. And so that's affected a lot of stuff in tech. Um, it's affected a lot of startups. It's affected a lot of VCs. Obviously, it's like affected some of the banks. And I'm interested to see what happens to crypto in a normal interest rate environment because it has never existed in one before. Do I think all crypto is over? Probably not. I have a hard time imagining that like as entrenched as Bitcoin and maybe even Ethereum are, that they they go to zero anytime soon. But I do think there's a lot less, there are going to be a lot fewer token projects. And I think a lot of these token projects are going to have trouble continuing. So we'll see. You know, crypto people like to talk about going through cycles and like crypto winter and like we rebuild during crypto winter. <laughs> and it's true. There have been like periods of like serious dips in the market where like people stop being as interested and then there's another bull run. But all of those things happened in a previous interest rate environment that we are no longer in. Yeah. The thing I've been trying to figure out is I think on the one hand, if you're a crypto true believer, there have been so many versions of this already that you're just sort of immune to it. Like if if you've gone through all of this over the last 18 months and you still believe in crypto, I don't know that this is going to blow up that belief in any kind of meaningful way. But at the same time, if ever there were going to be two dominoes that topple the rest of them, I would think it would be Binance and Coinbase that they're kind of they as it has been set up, Binance in particular is like has been so ruthless in order to be kind of the biggest last thing standing. And you would think if it collapses, 
or even just sort of takes a real meaningful hit that that might scare people again. I don't know. I've, I've been I'm like I'm torn between those two ideas. Well, there's there's that. But I, it's worth keeping in mind that DeFi is also a thing. So there are decentralized yeah. exchanges that are difficult to meaningfully shut down, True. even if you decide that they're illegal. There are like technical ways to get around some of this stuff. But I agree with you. I think, you know, there's one possibility is that crypto like quits and that's the end of it. One possibility <laughs> is that like, you know, there's no more crypto in the U.S., but it continues elsewhere in the world. Um, and, you know, some of the best arguments I've heard for the existence of crypto have to do with countries outside the U.S., basically. I'm not sure that crypto is a perfect solution for some of those problems, but I understand where people are coming from when they find it interesting. Okay. You know, it's 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 something we could argue about. That seems like a reasonable topic for debate. So there's those are two possibilities that that could happen. There are a couple of other possibilities. So one of them is you may know that there again, I mentioned legislation early here. There is a possibility that because this litigation takes so long, we get some kind of legislation that renders these lawsuits moot, which is the best case scenario for Coinbase. Because Coinbase, I don't think, is going to settle. I think this is an existential threat to them. They're going to fight it all the way. That's going to be years. Like the big Ripple case, which was one of the previous things about whether crypto is or is not a security, is still ongoing. And it's like from the previous, um, you know, iteration of the SEC pre Gensler. And even Coinbase's response to the lawsuit was very funny because they essentially said, like, please just tell us what the rules are. (laughs) And I don't know how genuine that is or not. And I think they'd obviously happily exist in a world without rules for as long as possible. But their their response is basically like, just stop yelling at us and just tell us what to do. And I kind of I kind of get that. (laughs) I'm a little sympathetic to that, actually, because they were allowed to go public. And one of the things that the SEC does is review all of the disclosures of, you know, what the risks are. And like, if you're a marijuana company, because uh, the SEC lets a marijuana company go public, even though it's illegal. There is a disclosure that marijuana is federally illegal in the filing, right? There are disclosures in that filing, if you go back and look, that suggest that there is regulatory uncertainty. But the the disclosure is not we're running an unlicensed exchange and the SEC may crack down. <laughs> and, you know, the SEC got a chance to take a look at that. So I kind of am a little sympathetic to them feeling jerked around. Yeah. And like I said, Brian Armstrong and Coinbase, they're the ones who've been like, they've been the good boys. Yeah. They're trying to be. Yeah. I mean, like he like made a documentary about how, how hard it is to be good. You know, like about himself. No one should watch it. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> but like, that's like when you're trying the most hard. Right. And whereas like, I think CZ and Binance were like, we're the renegades and no one can stop us, which I, you know, me, that's, that's my <laughs> son. But like, you love a pirate ship. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's the one that like, the king of England comes and shoots your pirate ship at the end. <laughs> you know, like, like Coinbase was like, what if I've got colonial metaphors for days? So I'm just going to stop it. But it's like, what if we were the ambassadors of the crown? Like, that's the game that they were trying to play. I do think that the FTX collapse significantly changed the political environment around cryptocurrency in such a way that may have influenced this particular lawsuit. I don't know whether that's just that it sort of lit a fire under the ass of the SEC or something else occurred. But I do know there's been a longstanding turf war between a lot of these federal agencies about who actually is in charge of regulating crypto. And it's part of the reason that we haven't seen a ton of action until relatively recently. So I'm I'm really curious to see how this plays out politically, separately from how it plays out legally, because the political factor is, I think, undeniable here. Yeah. 
All right. We'll see what happens next. I, Liz quick posting away during the Apple event it while was Binance incredible. was collapsing. It was so good. One of the funniest duel. Like, The Verge contains multitudes. It was beautiful. Deeply entertaining. Liz, always great to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. We got to wrap this thing up. We've done a lot of Verge casting this week, I want to say. We've also made Neil yeah. a full half hour late for a meeting, which I'm very proud of. It's so good. I feel Congratulations, good. I feel good about that. I would rather be <laughs> hanging out with you guys than any of my suit stuff that I got to do. But great to see you, Liz. Thank you both. That's it. That's the Vergecast. Dopamine fast. I'm going to do it. I'm going in the darkness like Aaron Rodgers when I come out and play for the Jets. <laughs> it's going to be great. That's it. Rock and roll. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week.